Hello everyone and welcome to the retreat. It is me, your host, Danielle Amaris Owens. For those who are just now tuning in for the first time, we took a little bit of a break um, here in New York City between COVID-19 and quarantine, but now we're back and better than ever. <laughs> I have a topic today that I want to discuss that is very near and dear to me. Um, I know I joke and laugh a lot. However, um, this is no laughing matter. Um, but I do want to bring light and encouragement um, while discussing this very, 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 very near and dear topic to me. And today I want to talk about suicide and mental health. And the reason why I've decided to kind of delve in on this, and this is something, again, it's near and dear to me because it's my experience. And I hesitated with even um, bringing this to the show because it's so personal. However, I was just recently reminded of a time that I shared my story and how much of an impact that it had. If we were filming last month for Suicide Awareness Month, I definitely would have shared it then. You know, time passes, you feel like your window's gone. And then again, the level of um, intimacy beyond, behind this topic is something that I've always kind of a little bit battled with. But if I can share my story in hopes to help someone else, that's the greatest good I can I can provide so let's just delve right in I'll just share my story and go from there so I realized maybe in my mid-20s that something was happening to me almost as a cycle I kept noticing that certain times of the year I would just be down and out like can't focus it didn't matter what i had going on nothing was good enough i wasn't good enough um no matter what plans i had fear would grip me i felt like i had to stop everything that i was doing i had to quit i had to i had to you know end relationships it was i i can't explain it to you and it always happened right before my birthday which is in november all through the holiday season the happiest time for most people, darkest time for me. So I want to say that in 2017 is when I identified these cycles and I was like, okay, something's wrong here. This isn't right. Um, you know, I had built a conference. I was working, making great money. I had my independence. Um, I had started making, you know, somewhat of a name for myself just in ministry. I'm ministering. I'm preaching the gospel. You know, um, I'm very active in my church, very well known for being active in my church community uh, and things like that. So I had grown and kind of matured spiritually. So by the time, oh, it's a fly. Sorry. <laughs> Are you going to edit that out? Can you edit that out? No, you're not? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I needed that. So I'm maturing and I'm maturing spiritually and, you know, things are happening for me that I should be happy about. So now when the cycle comes around my birthday, I'm able to identify and fight a little bit harder. However, in 2018, that fight almost took me out of here. Without going into every itty bitty detail, I'll say this. I was in a relationship. I had tons of friends um, and that was new for me because I'm not a big friend person. I am everyone's associate, 
but friendships they're hard to come by for me because I'm kind of like I don't know I just like my family and then I have I've always since I was a kid I've had this fear of people getting too close like keep everybody at arms bay and I had become part of this circle of friends and I had this relationship and ministry was taking off and then don't know what happened I started getting very irritable things just wasn't working um, and that was again during the holiday season so end of 2018 into 2019 it just got rough I, it got rough my mind was all over the place like I remember oh here we go I remember on my 29th birthday um, my birthday that year I remember having a bunch of people around me um, we kind of had like this big adult sleepover everybody came over to my friend's house and um, I remember it was maybe 12 of us and while everybody's laughing having a good time I had to step away because tears were starting to come out of my eyes and I did not know why here we are a group of people celebrating me and I can't I have anxiety like like this is just not supposed to happen I'm just not supposed to have this and I remember going into a separate bedroom where no one was with my iPad on my lap and I wrote my first suicide note can't tell you why I wrote it and and I'll never forget because the note started off with I'm sorry I'm sorry I can't function. I'm sorry I can't be happy. I'm sorry that I'm this burden. Don't know why. It wasn't until I finished the letter and I, I remember telling my parents, like, life would just be better without me. I, I, I'm going to miss you all. Like, and I'm telling you, it wasn't until I got to the end of the letter and, you know, I wrote it in my notes on the iPad. I got to the end of it and I was, like, reading it and I was like, what the heck? And it broke me again. I just started crying. I'm like, this is not normal behavior. Like, so long story short, I just deleted it. Deleted it. Was like, can't do that. Now let's move a little bit forward. Again, without going into details, relationship ended. Friendships fell apart. But more so than that, the torment of feeling worthless just it like snowballed it snowballed and it snowballed so much until i could not it felt like i couldn't breathe and i'll never forget on january 3rd 2019 i checked myself into a hotel room and in that hotel room now let me pause for a second at this point, I have a successful conference. I have people who love me. Like, I know it. It's not a game. I have people that care about me. I have people that believe in me and, in, and believe in the future that I can't even see. I had people who constantly wanted to be around me and wanted to talk to me. I had people that I was pouring into, that I was giving wise counsel to. I had... Uh, a group of young ladies around me that I was mentoring. And while I'm doing all of this, there's a piece of me that outside of doing for everyone else, when it's just me, I'm shattered. I'm nothing. At least that's the torment that was going on in my mind. 
I could only function being at service to others. But when it came to doing anything for myself or realizing that in being a service to others, I myself am building my, my, my soul, my spirit as an individual. Um, but I, I didn't have that. I had the, yeah, everybody wants you for what they want, but no one's going to miss you when you're not here. And then I remember checking into a hotel on January 3rd with the journal. I've always been a writer. And um, I intentionally this time wrote about six goodbye letters. One to my parents, one to my grandmothers, one to um, my brothers, my, um, I think my best friend, and I think it's just a general, I can't remember all of them. I still have the journal. And I had a couple of different over-the-counter sleeping pills, some alcohol, and um, <sighs> I'm getting hot. <laughs> And for days, for three days, I stayed in, I locked myself in that hotel room, turned my phone off, didn't want to speak to anybody. And I remember begging God, like, if you have any purpose for me to live, then you stop this. Because everything in me doesn't want to wake up tomorrow. And man, ooh, I got this. I'm healed. I'm set free, y'all. <laughs> But that time was just, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Um, I can't explain to anyone why I felt the way that I felt. I can't pinpoint it, say that it was any one thing that happened to me that brought me to this place. All I know is that one day it was too much for me to handle. What I had been functioning through for years had finally um, had finally became more than anything that I can handle. And for three days, I mean, popping pills, popping pills, and they would knock me out. And every time I would wake up, I'd be like, okay, chug them in my hand, throw some more back. And part of me was scared, I have to say. Part of me was afraid that the end would be the end. But then there was a part of me that was like, why do I keep waking up? I'm taking lethal amounts of these pills and I can't even do this right. And that was like my attitude in between like the mood swings of like, oh, I'm scared. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm having second choices, uh, second thoughts. And then there was another part of me that was angry with myself because that wasn't enough. That handful wasn't enough. That alcohol was, it wasn't enough. Finally, after the third day, I was like, can't do it. Can't do it. I ended up checking out of the hotel and I will never forget the feeling in my legs and in my arms were, I, they felt like noodles. Like I, I felt like I had no strength. They were just numb, like just, just dead limbs is what they felt like. I remember going back home, getting in the bed and not leaving. And my mom 
When Sunday morning, my mom knew that I was just dragging, just dragging for a couple days now. At this point, it's probably like a week, but I think my mom had really taken the couple days before the Sunday where she was like, okay, something is really, really wrong. I remember that next Sunday morning, she came in my room, everybody left, and because my father's a pastor, so everybody's going to church. And I remember my mother coming into my bedroom and she's like, <sighs> she said, you have two choices. You're either going to go to church or I'm going to take you down the street to St. Vincent's Hospital, which is a, a mental institution. And she was like, which one is it? My mom, anybody know my mom? She's a tough cookie. She's like, which one is it? And I'm like, I don't know. Wrong answer. And I remember her grabbing me by my ankle, pulling me out of bed and dragging me. And I remember having the worst anxiety because at this point, from my birthday up until this, this is January now. My birthday's in November. During that time, I was, I was so consumed by this depression. I'm already a small girl. I was just slowly, my weight was just slowly leaving me. So by the time my mom was like, no, you're coming to church. I hadn't been to church in a couple weeks. And I had this big winter coat on and I'm like, I'm not taking it off. I walk into church, the ushers are grabbing my coat. I'm like, no, you can see the bones across my chest you can see i've always had these bones these were always prominent but literally you can see the bones of my skeleton and they took this jacket off of me and i remember just feeling like i hate everybody <laughs> why are they doing this to me i felt humiliated and nobody was paying me any attention just in my head and i remember um i remember that sunday passing and i remember i confessed to my father that day i'm like dad i did something really bad last week and he's like, what did you do? And immediately he went into super dad mode. He began to pray. He began to talk to me. And I still was embarrassed and I had this humiliation attached to it. Let's go to a week later. I'm in the bed every day. At this time, I am a, a big time manager um, at a residential building. And I have you know, staff that reports to me and they're working for me. And then I report to someone else um, offsite. And I remember telling him, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. And for whatever reason, the job just kept functioning without me being there. I just approved people's payroll and that was it. I made sure that someone was always there. But I remember getting out of the house this time. I have a friend who lives in Long Island and drove out to Long Island. And the whole time I'm driving, I'm like, what am I doing? It's just crazy anxiety. I can't explain it. I've, I've always had like a little bit of anxiousness, which I think a little bit might be healthy. But what I was experiencing this day, just leaving the house after being in the house for almost three weeks now, not leaving the house at all. Um, I, I'm driving on the highway and I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. The whole time I'm like, I can't believe I'm on the road. I can't believe I'm on the road. I'm going to my friend's house. I decided to, well, she actually convinced me to stay the night. And um, the next morning, she's like, I think you should come with me to church. I don't want to go to church. I didn't have any clothes. I was just too afraid. Truth be told, she begged me to stay, but I really stayed because it's nighttime now and I'm afraid to, everything scares me. Everything is tormenting me. And um, I ended up going with her to church the next day. She pulled out some clothes. I was like, you can wear this, you can wear this. I tell you all, no lie. I get to service, worship is high, it's phenomenal, it's great, and for some reason, this, this, 
church had huge television screens. They were live streaming. And I mean the full production, okay? Full production. And there are screens to my left, and I mean huge screens. Like these are not home entertainment screens. These are these are the real deal. Like you're in a movie theater almost. And these screens um, are on both sides of me. And the camera person, um, there's a camera person next by me that's getting, you know, shots of the congregation and people in the congregation. Every time that camera catches me and every time I see a glimpse of me on the screen, I, I just, I die a little bit more inside because my face is so, I mean, can I just push for a second? Um, I put on weight since then, and this is the most weight I've ever had, and I feel so good about it. I feel like such a woman. All right, play. All right, so listen. <laughs> I, had, I had lost so much weight until my face was sunken in. So literally, when I'm, every time the cameras catch me and I see a glimpse of myself on the screen, all I see in my head is tails from the crib. That's what I look like. My hair looked like that. My face... You can, you can see my skull. It was, I, I, I had gone, I was going through it. I was really, really going through it. I had no appetite. I, I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get out of bed every day. Even while I was home, the remainder of the sleeping pills that I had, that's at home. I'm just taking them because I don't want to be awake. And um, at that church service, my, I, I tell my friend, I'm like, hey, um, I need to use the bathroom because all of a sudden I'm starting to get very light feeling how I was feeling when I was taking the sleeping pills and I hadn't been taking them. And I'm like, I'm feeling like my limbs going, like I just don't feel like myself. And I'm like, where's the bathroom? She points to this stairway that leads, these steep stairs that lead pretty much to the basement. And she's like, they're down there. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm not gonna make it down those stairs. I literally, I'm feeling my body, my body feels like it's just, it's leaving me. And she's like, you want me to go with you? And I'm like, yeah. We walk through the pew that we're in. We start heading towards the stair. And I remember grabbing her. And that's all I remember. After that, when I woke up, they were like, the ambulance is outside. Y'all, I blacked out. I remember being out of it, not being able to respond. But I remember con I was conscious of the conversations around me. I remember feeling someone smacking me across the face. I remember hearing people say, I can't feel a pulse. She's turning white. Look, her lips are blue. Please, Danielle, please wake up, wake up, wake up. And I mean, I'm being, I could feel my body moving, jerking from people pulling and hitting me, trying to get me. I can't feel a pulse. We're losing her. We're losing her. I get rushed to the emergency room and um whew. <laughs> I get rushed to the emergency room get all these tests run and they can't find anything wrong with me mind you I'm visibly underweight visibly my blood work my urine tests my EKG everything that they did they're like oh we're just gonna send you home I knew um, at that point, because at least if they found something medically wrong with me, a couple of things would make sense. 
They could not find anything wrong. Even looking at my appearance, I am visibly, visibly in trauma. And they were like, no, you can go home. Like I said, it was at that moment that I knew what was happening to me was not natural. What I had just experienced was not natural. Anybody with two natural seeing eyes can see that something is very, before I open my mouth, you can see that something is, even if you don't know me, you can see that something is very wrong with me. Physically, my physical appearance was out of whack. And I knew at that point that um, God would not let me go. So now my goal is to figure out why. The next several weeks would prove that God's hand truly was on my life. Y'all, I'll share the, the nitty gritty details of what happened in those following weeks. But as you can see, I'm here. I'm alive, I'm well, I'm breathing, I'm plump. <laughs> um, but I, I, I wanted to bring that story um, to the forefront for two specific reasons. One, to understand that mental health and suicide, depression, anxiety can also be very much high functioning. Like I said, I had a great job. On the outside, I looked like I had it all together. I had papers that proved that I was a decent young woman who had a lot going for her. I didn't complain. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lead off on anything being wrong with me. I didn't write subliminals about wanting to end my life or, um, you know, or, or needing attention in any way or any type of validation. I didn't have that. I worked, I did what I had to do. I put on a face when I was in front of people. And when I got home alone and by myself, I was being tormented day and night. So for people who think that suicide is something that you can just catch, you can't. You can't always just determine that a person is okay. I don't know a better example outside of me. And secondly, because I understand now we, we live in a culture and a society, especially here in the U.S., and this is something that I, I speak about often. Um, everyone knows my faith is my life, and I stand by this. There was no doctor, no medicine that got me through that. I literally knocked on death's door. No one can take credit for the resurrection that happened in my life. Nobody. Um, but I know that we live in a culture and a society where you want to make sense naturally of what's going on around you. I know that therapy is very big and I love the idea of it. I love therapy. I, eventually I'm going to go just so that I can have someone to talk to. Um, and I know that the stigma has been removed um, from therapy and, and, and certain medications also. However, I'm here to tell my viewers, those who are listening, that prayer still works. And it works by itself. 
Faith without works is dead, but prayer being the root and the vehicle that drives you to great works according to his will is what is going to get us through. Or at least that's what got me through. You want to go to therapy? Go to therapy. You want to take medication? That's on you. But I am a witness that prayer and seeking God and staying, the work came and staying in his presence and staying in a posture of just really being 100% dependent on the uncreated creator, on God himself. And I will not let anything or anyone take that from him. The glory of God on my life is his alone. I can't, I can't even take credit. I can't say, well, you know, I developed these 10 steps on how to get the Lord helped me through. He decided that against my own will, when I didn't want to live, that his will was greater and it was going to prevail over my life. And that meant that my time was not yet. Um, I'm so passionate about speaking against mental health because I don't ever want to replace the number one solution with little small resources. Again, this is not to downplay that therapy works for a lot of people. I've heard so many testimonies about how speaking to a professional and a licensed um, therapist has gotten them through some of the traumas of their past and things like that. Let me tell you something, the Lord was my therapist because when he took me through the cycle of bringing me to total deliverance and really healing my mind, my body and my soul, it was him who took me back into my past and began to show me these violations in my life that had started to open doors that brought me to the place where I felt like I needed to kill myself. The, the secrets that I held, the the pain, the, the things that were done to me, the things that were said about me, the, again, the violations. And I use the word violation because a lot of times you can talk to people, especially Christians, and they're looking for the sin in your life to justify the torment. And in my case, I, I use the word violations because there were things that were done to me as a child Things that had happened, violations that took place in my childhood that I had literally put into a, a, a place of forgetfulness in my own mind where I just acted like it didn't happen. Those habits actually followed me into an adult where I get detached very easily. I've been trained in this since I was a kid because when someone said something to me, when someone touched me, when someone violated, I just figured out how to, it never happened and erase it from my brain. So as an adult, some of my issues, and again, this is why I say God was my therapist, because in dealing with and mapping my life and finding these places of violation, not only did he heal me from the place of suicide, but then he healed my heart from relationships, from learning to trust people, from learning how to get by. And to me, again, this is my story, this is my testimony. A doctor couldn't do it. Medication could not do it. Shoot, medication couldn't even take me out of here if it wanted to. Because the Lord's hand is, was, will forever be upon my life. And I don't ever want people to think that he's not enough. He is enough. He is enough. He is enough. And he will provide the instructions, the wisdom. He will begin to speak to you. Again, the work, because faith without works is dead. The work for me came in maintaining a posture for him to deal with me. 
See, the problem today is that people don't know how to wait. People don't know how to go through long suffering. People don't know how to depend on God because everything in our culture today is quick, fast, and in a hurry. So if God doesn't deliver me now, he's not going to. So let me move on to something else. It's not my story. I didn't have a choice. I didn't have anywhere to turn. And so what happened in my life, and this again, this is why this, this topic means so much to me, because I'm telling you, I was one foot in the grave. And because of my experience and because what God has done in my life, I'm here to tell someone that suicide is not your end. And, and again, to look for the little pieces and to just be compassionate to people. Sometimes a person just needs to know that you're, you somewhat are listening. So that way they can open up to you and tell you what they're going through. You do not have to suffer in silence. There's always, if there's not someone physically there, God the Father is. And he will see you through. I am a testimony. I hold that near and dear to me. And I want to reach out to you all. I want to hear your comments. I want to talk back and figure out what you all have going on in your plate. This is a crazy time that we're living in. It's an uncertain time that we're living in. It's a hurtful time that we're living in. And I don't want any of us to miss someone else's downfall when we can pick them up out of the pit and lead them to the one who will raise them up again. All right, y'all. Yeah, I know how we do. Leave the comments. And thank you for tuning in.